Hi, kids. Welcome to uh, episode two of Office Hours with Carp and Loge, where we look at strategic communications and stuff going on in the news, give you our hot takes with footnotes. Uh, I'm Peter Loge, an associate professor in the School of Media and Public Affairs at the George Washington University, and I'm here with my colleague, Dave Carp, also of the School of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University. It's Office Hours with Carp and Loge. It feels just like the two stopping by our office hours where the two of us interrupt each other and maybe make fun of each other a little. And, and may or may not help students. Really, that's sort of coincidental. I figure <laughs> it's, I teach to abuse myself. And if people learn along the way, well, then that's just a happy coincidence. It's gravy. It's a bonus. It's, it's a bonus, really. I figure, you know, it's, the, it's I don't know, it's a thing. Uh, so what are we doing? Um, how, how are you feeling, Dave? You got a, you got a new Mountain Goods t-shirt on. Tell the people about new, your... This is one of my finest. This is from their latest tour. It's one of my finest Mountain Goods t-shirts. It's, Do we get to see uh, all of it or I can just see the top? Do the whole... Here we go. Uh, uh, model, we all model. know, since podcasting is a visual medium, uh, I'm wearing a different <laughs> Mountain Goods shirt every single uh, time we record. That's also our way of knowing that we record on days when I don't teach. Because on days when I teach, I wear shirts with buttons. That's and called still, dressing up or showing my students respect. I, it's showing your students respect. And also just what happens to be clean. I still think, I still think we need, you need Mountain Goats merch that says Mountain Goats like over the pocket, like those golf, those golf shirts. We can you, look you into a button it. down with the thing. I think you could. I think well, there's a, 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 a the podcast called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, which is interviews with John Darnielo of the Mountain Goats about his songwriting process. They have merch, so I could at some point wear a shirt that says, I only listen to the Mountain Goats. Um, very meta. That'd be very yeah, meta. Yeah. Get, him, get him to listen. We could get him as a guest. We, we talking can, we about can try. It's Office Hours with Carvin Loge, where I tell you about different podcasts you should listen to instead. <laughs> Tune in to hear what you should be listening to. I should say, we had, we had a good first week. We had a good first week. More than 100 streams between YouTube and, uh, and the pod platforms. And people do see on YouTube, people do do tune in so they do see whatever that that mountain ghost design was was that that wasn't a goat no a that design you have that was not yeah. a goat i'm very confused and we also we got fan mail from the first one which is cool uh somebody on twitter said it's 100 percent worth listening on youtube somebody i think appropriately said started with a heavy eye roll but then stuck around for the episode and especially like your your insights and i think starting with a heavy eye roll is the way to go there we go uh, i got other other email from a friend who's a comms director at a big deal organization here in town said uh, blankety 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 blank 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 for a family show so I can't I can't say what he typed but then he stuck around listened to the whole thing and still insisted we should have been talking about inflation because that's really the only thing that matters and all that anybody's talking about well if you stick around until the very end of the episode we'll mention inflation at least once today at least once so tune in <laughs> who knows it'll be don't go anywhere don't you gotta wait for it don't go anywhere you gotta, gotta wait for the inflation how nerdy a dc thing is this hey coming up inflation that'll be fun <laughs> that's how oh we try to stick around two people who are used to their audience being required to be there and graded <laughs> for being there <laughs> and nodding and pretending as if we know what we're talking about because their futures depend on it um <laughs> Listen in and, you know, write us fan mail because uh, that's your participation grade. We're keeping track. That's not entirely true, although there's now threatened merch kicking around the Twitterverse, which which has me somewhat alarmed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm terrified. I also want to know, this is their second episode, and so far, 
uh, no mattress dealer has uh, become a sponsor of this. I don't know if I like Casper mattresses or a different mattress more until somebody pays me to have an opinion. I think so, I think that's fair. We are open. Just sitting there. We can. We are. We. I was a lobbyist for America's Funny Some Videos. Whatever I, whatever pride I had is long gone. I can be bought. So, yeah. hey, should we talk about politics? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> you first. I feel like this is the week for us to be talking about Supreme Court nomination. That was the big news of this week. Of course, the pod drops on Tuesday, so it'll be last week by the time everybody's hearing this. No, but, no, no. Well, only half of them. They're not voting till about probably April 4th. Sure, sure. But I, I think this is the, the week to reflect on the hearings that were just happening in the Senate, uh, the good, the bad, and the so much ugly. Yeah. What, were, what were your takes? Um, I think there's a couple of, I think there are a couple of takes. So first is, I want to just pause to recognize how important a moment this is, mm-hmm. right? Judge Jackson is in all likelihood going to become the first Black woman to sit on the United States Supreme Court. And that's, that's a big deal. And you and I have both been doing this for a while, long enough to be cynical. And it's just kind of amazing every now and again to look up and go, wow, this is to step out of, out of the cynicism and, and do what uh, I think Senator Booker did, mm-hmm. which is just recognize the, the moment, which is apart from the, you know, the theater and Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz doing whatever it was they were doing and Lindsey Graham throwing temper tantrums and all the awful email we're all getting, like all of that, you set aside all that garbage. Mm-hmm. The existence of those hearings and, and the likelihood that she's going to be a member of the United States Supreme Court is really is really pretty cool, I think. I think there's two layers there, right? So on one level, I fully agree with you. This is a historic nomination, and it's worth pausing and recognizing history as it happens. And then there's the other level that this is going to take a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court and leave it a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. She is going to join a minority of justices who still really believe in things like uh, making sure that the law today is in keeping with the law yesterday, even if that inconveniences a set of conservative stakeholders who have gotten much more ambitious and are seeing their strategies work out at every turn. Um, well, let's talk about that. I mean, we're a strategic communications podcast. So what are the, talk about the strategic, strategic columns you see going on in and around um, both last week's hearings and then then next week where they're going to have all the other outside witnesses and what's going to happen between here and the, and the confirmation vote. Sure. I and mean, the thing that stands out most to me is, even though, again, it, this is historic, the stakes here are kind of small because the results are already dialed in. Like this feels similar to the Comey Barrett nomination and so different from the Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, and of course, there's layers to that. But part of what made the Kavanaugh nomination different before all of the allegations allegations that were clearly true, came out, was that if Kavanaugh got pulled, then it was likely that they wouldn't have another nominee before uh, the November election. And if the Democrats took the Senate, then that could actually matter for the type of justice that gets appointed to that seat. Comey Barrett, even though it was weeks before the election, the Republicans decided we're going to roll this through. The Democrats complained and, and cried hypocrisy. But I was pointing out to my students, hypocrisy in twenty in the twenty twenties doesn't play anymore. It, it doesn't actually get you anywhere, even when you're right. And so there was a sense of a foregone conclusion there. And I think the 
the stage setting here for all the antics was that this is a pretty well foregone conclusion. Like the behavior that we were seeing from Lindsey Graham uh, and Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley is the behavior of three people who aren't trying to convince Joe Manchin of anything. What they're trying to do instead is just say, well, okay, she's going to be the nominee. So what can I do here? What are my strategic objectives when I can't change the outcome? I can get on Hannity. I can get on Carlson. I can do some fundraising and sort of burnish my hard right credentials. And so that's all they're playing for now because they're not playing for any bigger stakes. When the, when the stakes are that small, when all you can do is try to get on Hannity, then we see that sort of crass behavior. It's bad for democracy. It's bad for governance. But like that, that's the way that we get what we got there. I do want to come back to the bad for democracy and governance because there's, mm-hmm. there's troubling polling coming out of Pew mm-hmm. about, about public support or, or sort of trust in the court. Keys to strategic communication are having a clear, identifiable, measurable goal. Mm-hmm. Right, not raising awareness. Right, it's by the way. By the way, it's a stress awareness month in April. So now you're aware. Like I don't. I don't need no, a calendar I, to tell me I'm stressed. I know that I'm. Stressed. I feel really bad about how aware of my stress I was last month. Just kind of. Really, <laughs> I'm kind of got to, now. I've got to pay. I'm not paying enough attention to my stress. I'm not aware enough of my stress. It's stressing me out. Don't don't raise awareness, kids. So it's not. You got a clear, measurable goal. That means you also have to know who who has power over the goal. Right, who the audience is, the decision maker. You know, I mean, Aristotle pointed this out. Um, I feel bad. I didn't have an Aristotle name check last time. So he's over my my shoulder here. So these guys want to get something from somebody. What mm-hmm. are Holly Cruz, Graham at all trying to get and who they're trying to get it from? They're just trying to get a little more famous in the conservative media ecosystem. The way I always phrase it to my students at the beginning of the semester is that before you can evaluate if something was strategic, you need to know what the goals were. Are they, are they running for president or what are they doing? I mean, all of them look in the mirror and see a president. I don't know if any of them are actually running right now because right now all of them are waiting to see what uh, Donald Trump is going to do. He's clearly going to run. So all of them are then saying, yeah, I'm just going to hang out. But nonetheless, in the absence of any greater goal, in the absence of trying to change the outcome of the nomination, in the absence of trying to ask real questions of a nominee that might matter, what they're left with is they wake up every day and say, hey, it would be really cool to be on Fox News today. Please give me some attention. That's all they've got. So that's all they're doing. It's childish behavior in the same way that like people standing behind the morning show, jumping up and down, holding signs, trying to say, like, look at us. I'm on TV isn't particularly what we would have in mind if we were thinking about how to run a republic. But that's all they've got now because there's no real deliberation happening. And, and being famous suddenly has become an end in itself. Yeah. Now, okay, so that's that's Holly and Cruz, because they're not they're not talking about Judge Jackson, right? The New York Times in their their morning email newsletter uh, a couple of days ago pointed out that, that the Republicans, most of the Republicans making most of the noise in the hearings aren't talking about Judge Jackson. They've made up some caricature of mm-hmm. some cartoon character of a liberal nominee and are asking questions of that character. And unfortunately, Judge Jackson has to be the one answering those questions. And they're really absurd questions. I mean, she's on paper, she's everything you want out of a out of a Supreme Court justice, right? From checking the right boxes about where she went to school. Oh, she's one of us. She went to the right schools that we went to, right? If you look at her record as a as a judge, if you look at her career as a public defender, she's worked in corporate law, she's done all these things. So they're not arguing against her, right? They're arguing against some cartoon character, right? And I think part of that is also the true mind Republicans. In 22 and 24, Democrats are scary. Democrats are scary. Look, there's a black woman. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. 
mm-hmm. right? So they're kind of doing base. They're, they're keeping feeding meat to their base. So their base keeps doing things like writing checks, uh, showing up to vote in primaries and generals and just, you know, doing all the stuff the, the far right base has been doing so well for the past uh, five, eight years. Right. Did, did you ever move, watch the movie Super Troopers? Oh, my, of course I did. Look at, do, do you not know me? I feel like I feel like we had a thing. Of course. I, OK, I, for our listeners, you would even listeners, ask. Very good movie. Um, there's a scene in Super Troopers where they uh, they pull somebody over for speeding and they play a game called Meow which is to see how many times when they're talking to this you know, scared team they just pulled over, how many times can one of them say the word meow without the, the team catching on? Or just like, how many times can they fit it in? Like Ted Cruz was basically doing Super Troopers meow bit for critical race theory. And again, that's because the game there is the more times I can say critical race theory, critical race theory, critical race theory, the more times Hannity will put me on air. The more I get to be on Tucker Carlson. Now, again, when we think about the Senate as an august, august deliberative body, the Senate shouldn't be super troopers, clearly. But also it, it is, like that. that's the Senate that we have in 2022. So of course he was doing that. I, I just want to point out that, now, that you've now invoked the, the, the Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice, if you say it three times, a really scary near dead guy shows up and tries to dismantle your life. Mm-hmm. That's a weird, I feel like Beetlejuice might actually be kind of an interesting Interesting metaphor for our political landscape at the moment. Another good movie, though. We're now going so far back in time that a lot of our listeners may not have been alive when that movie came out. I, I've, I've given up on that. Most of my most of the my students are. I did. I gave up. I give up. I send around clips of things. It's fighting a losing battle. Our students like did things like study to get to a good school rather than than watching bad television. And I think I worry for for America's future. Although I do have one who still sends me screenshots of Columbo, for which I'm. Eternally grateful. Love Columbo. None of us is to the point. I think it's not just the right, though. It's not just the right. I, I promise I'm going to come to the ethics stuff because, like, I'm that guy. But but we are also getting, you and I are both getting a lot of email from the political left um, saying, you know, sign this petition, insist that, that Judge Jackson be, be confirmed, give us 50 bucks. If you don't give us 50 bucks right now, we can't stop the radical right on, right? So, so the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DNC, other liberal activist groups are similarly drowning the left in email, getting them to weigh in on what is effectively a foregone conclusion to raise money to list build and to further demonize the far right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so strategic comms at this point isn't about Judge Jackson. It's about raising money. It's about getting on TV. And it's also, I think, if you're if you're an organization, um, you want to demonstrate you're in the battle. Right. You want to demonstrate that you're relevant. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it looks good for your donors. It helps you get the next meeting. Oh, I saw this guy in C-SPAN. Um, it helps you get in the press, which then helps your helps you, you know, list building at power. And it's not a bad thing, right? But I think it's what, what groups do. Uh, that the the interim president of the leadership conference on civil and human rights testified, for example, Wade Henderson, really smart, really good guy. The leadership conference is a civil rights coalition of record in Washington, important group doing important work. He testified. But he, of course, didn't do it under the cloak of darkness. Um, you know, it was, it was pushed out over social media. They were talking about it. So the leadership conference can tell their members, look, we're in the game. Our guy is testifying. Hang out with us. Um, support our legislation. Be part of our coalition. Send us checks because we're in the game, which then makes it easier to be in the game. 
right? I mean, part right. of it is there's so many of us in Washington that you have to fight really hard to get any attention. And one, one measure of power is who returns your calls. The better one is who calls you, mm-hmm. right? And if you're seen in the Times or the Wall Street Journal, or the Washington Post or on C-SPAN or talk shows as weighing in on this, then you're worth weighing in on things. So people then come back to you, which is good for the ego, but also good for building power, building money, building lists. None of which has anything to do with, with Judge Jackson and everything right. to do with the theater at which Judge Jackson just happens to find herself at the center. Right. And so I see a couple of things there. One is, again, if the votes have pretty much been counted and we know how this is going to go, she's, she's going to get confirmed, barring something really weird and surprising um, that certainly no one is planning for or campaigning for that we can see. In that context, your goal isn't, hey, we got to work really hard to get her confirmed because you don't need the, this goes back to uh, Robert Dahl, another classic for my, my class, um, you know, Robert Dahl's theory of power that Power is when actor A can get actor B to do something that B wouldn't otherwise do. If she's already going to get confirmed, then you were not strategizing to get her confirmed. That's kind of dialed in. So what do you do? You do what you can with this moment. And that's probably going to be list building. That's probably going to be fundraising. That's probably going to be strategic comms against the opponent. The thing that I think makes it a little more interesting is, well, I think you're right about using that in order to burnish your credentials so that you get that next phone call, you get that next meeting. That's also, I think, a theory of power which works better back when Congress was still working, right? So the the deeper struggle here for organizations on the left is since we're still going to have a 6-3 Supreme Court, which is still going to be invalidating voting rights, overturning the administrative state, quite possibly this summer, or overturning Roe. In the midst of that, the question is, are we trying to legitimize a court that is fundamentally illegitimate, or are we trying to stand up to it? So what you need to be doing with this is like, yes, list build, yes, fundraise, but also recognize the broader moment that we're in, that while this is a historic nomination, it's a historic nomination to an institution that needs to be radically changed. Like they either need to expand the court or else be prepared for a war against the fundamental rights and laws that we've enjoyed since I was alive. Well, since there, there are two parts of this, right? One is, first of all, uh, because we do offer hot takes with footnotes. Uh, I was just looking at the doll piece. Um, it'll be on peterloge.com backslash podcast, where you can watch us in person and see Dave's mountain goat t-shirt collection. We're going to keep having podcasts until he runs out of t-shirts. And I'll put a link to uh, doll's concept of power up there. Um, the second piece, though, is the other thing that in this I think you're getting at is that it isn't just about Jackson, right? If you build an entire organization simply to to confirm a black woman named Judge Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court, like one, that's weirdly prescient. 50 years ago, here's the plan, like this weird Manchurian candidate plan. But the other is the point is to actually advance ideas and ideals of democracy that you want, right? So it's voting rights, it's equal access to, it's equal access to power, basically. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court has a role in that. Congress has a role in that. So do state legislatures, local elected, local election officials, local municipalities where 16 year olds can vote in municipal elections in some areas. You know, so it's, it's, if I were advising an organization pushing messaging out on Jackson, I would say this is historic. Let's pause and recognize the historic moment. Let's recognize, as you said, it doesn't change anything. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It changes things symbolically, and that's important. But as a matter of what happens next in who gets to vote in 2022 or 2024, really not. It doesn't. That happens locally. In order for it to happen locally, you, person on the other end of this list, need to get involved in a local campaign because I know where you are, because I'm using good data analytics. I can say, these are your top candidates or donate to the DCCC because they're actually probably the National Governors Association or county level officials or local party structures, right? Because that's where the change can happen at the lower level. So then eventually it comes back up to Congress and eventually to the Supremes. But you use this moment to go where you can affect change, mm-hmm. which at this point is locally, I think. I think that's basically right there. attack it from a different angle, which is okay. you use this moment because particularly over the past decade or so with the rise of social media, which has overtaken the older media system, right? Like most of the stuff that I teach in my class, at least the first half of class, comes from decades when the media system was more stable and easier to rationalize and understand. And now that the media system has gotten chaotic, part of what that means is that you are often kind of trying to generate power while issue surfing. So if we are in a moment where the thing that's happening is this nomination, you don't ignore that. You say, how do we use that? And you ignore it if you're way outside of that, if it's not your issue space at all. You don't want to just always be jumping on whatever. But if it's the thing that's relevant to your organization, then you're not going to ignore it. You're going to do what you can with it while also trying to keep in mind what your values are and what what the next year or two is going to look like. Because if you're spending these few months talking about how we can just get that nomination through, then like, huzzah, we've achieved justice. Like, hey, your your members aren't going to believe you, but also you don't believe that it's not true because we know that this summer is going to keep being bad. I mean, let me go dark for a second, actually. (laughs) A thing that I found really interesting was, like, I, I tuned in for some of the nomination this week, but since it was kind of a foregone conclusion, what I knew was you're going to have like smart questions from Democrats who are mostly supporting her. Uh, You're going to have really obnoxious behavior from the same characters on the Republican side. I'm pretty busy. I can catch some highlights on this. So it wasn't getting a lot of my attention span. The thing that got a lot of my attention span, at least for a minute, was trying to follow, is Clarence Thomas still in the hospital or not? And that's because while you don't want to wish ill of anyone, if Clarence Thomas has to step down, then it goes from a 6-3 court to a 5-4 court. And that's a big deal in a way that changing the membership of the three and the 6-3 structurally is less of a big deal. And so it's a sort of awkward gallows element of, I don't want to root for anything, even against people who I deeply disagree with. But also the stakes here of, is that dude still in the hospital? I thought he was supposed to release. But, are on but if some level much, much deeper and more resonant. But if you're a comms person, like, like you can think about that, but that's not really the point. You've got to be- Yeah, you're not communicating on that. Like that could happen to anybody, right? I mean, I mean, Justice Sotomayor could get hit by an asteroid, right? What you can right. do is you've got your list of potential nominees. You've got your list of talking points. It's basically crisis communications. If something side, goes sideways, and even then it's not mm-hmm. a, look, we won, puppies and rainbows, everybody go home. It's we've won this. This is critical. Enjoy the moment. The real battle is the next thing. Mm-hmm. You're always keeping the conversation going and you're ready for what happens. Like, I'm not going to write a comms plan on the assumption that one of the Republicans is going to get abducted by aliens. Right. Yeah. Again, that would make a great podcast. It's it's reaction. It's not playing in advance. I I think you're right. The, The difference in perspective is like, even though I teach strategic comms, 
for me, it's heavy on the strategic part. I yeah. rarely care what exact words you say. I care about the broader strategic logic. I mean, I guess I'm a comms guy since I teach this, but like I was, I was an old organizer and trainer. So I'm, you're right. Like as a comms person, you're not doing comms on like, we wish him well, what, like with a- you, know, you ignore it. It doesn't matter. You, because you ignore it. But it's also at a strategic level, I think it's pretty important to recognize how much bigger the stakes are in, is this six, three, five, four, or four, five? Like that, that ends up being the bigger strategic deal, even if you're not communicating around it. I think, I think it becomes the, that's, that's a deal for the outcome. And that makes it easier or more difficult to get the outcomes in which you believe, right? Women's health, environmental mm-hmm. protection, things like that. But as a comms person, all you can do is say, we're advancing towards these specific sets of goals. These things happen, which are their opportunities for us to advance our argument or their obstacles to our argument. How do we explain that, right? How do we explain yeah, Jackson? Well, yeah. this is great. It's not the end game. If, you know, Justice Kagan, something really bad happens to uh, uh, Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor, you then say, oh, well, this is an opportunity to either advance or ignore our agenda, or if she decides, you know, she's going to be a huge soccer fan and is going to DC United games. So like, as a fan, I'm going to applaud that, but I don't care as a comms guy because it has nothing to do with advancing or retracting from my agenda. I want to move to, we've got a few minutes left. I do want to move to, to the broader sort of ethical question, right? So a bit of history, which is also going to be in the, in the footnotes uh, section of this. Um, the court is historically partisan. Um, in the early, early decades of the Republic, former elected officials actually held, held partisan office who were soon to be partisans. There's, there's an interesting piece, both from the Cato Institute and from a historian in the Washington Post, pointing out that the Supreme Court used to be openly political, it traded partisanship for power. Professor Shelton wrote in the Washington Post in September of 2020, and this was the assumption. The assumption was they would be fair once they got there, but there were partisans on the way in, mm-hmm. right? And it's also um, the assumption of failure. A number of, in the in the 18th and 19th century, of every president had, had justices declined, including President Washington. This era of comity is, is relatively new and relatively short. So we can see uh, John Tyler actually holds a record for most unsuccessful nominations by any president. He went one for nine, <laughs> right? Kind of said, and by the way, he was also president briefly. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, that's always been the partisanship. So, so the, the assumption of partisanship went down, the hope of partisanship went down as Supreme Court and executive power went up, right? The executive right, and the well, courts and used to have the less power. the administrative state. You're right, the birth of the administrative state, but also the rise of the, the unitary executive mm-hmm. um, and the Supremes just getting involved in more and, and doing more. It is mm-hmm. also the case that public opinion, public views of the Supreme Court have gone more negative, and this happened before Justice Breyer's retirement. Mm-hmm. Pew has some, some frankly troubling polling, which again, I'll put in the, in the footnote section, that favorable ratings of the Supreme Court went from 69 to 54% between August of 2019 and January of 2022. The unfavorables went from 30 to 44. Uh, liberals now have a, a, a seriously decreasing opinion of favorability of the court went from a favorability rating of 55 in August, 2019 to 36 in January, 2022. So here's the um, important question. What's wrong with those 36? <laughs> but it's, it's part of it though, is that are we doing the nation a disservice by making this a, instead of saying liberal versus Democrat, should mm-hmm. we be saying constructionist or 
historical or like should we be describing the political philosophy rather than the political party? Like, are we, are we doing the country harm with the circus? No, they're doing the, I mean, the circus isn't helpful, but that type of respect is earned. And this is not a court that is earned. In, in all honesty, I'm not surprised that 36% of, of liberals are still positive because the mass public doesn't pay a lot of attention to politics. But this is a court that has been behaving in an illegitimate manner. This is a court that has been weaponizing the shadow docket as has been pointed out by Sotomayor when she writes on the topic. But this is a court that has been overturning voting rights without even really having hearings on it. It, It's a court that no longer is worried about stare decisis. It's a court that has decided to undermine the administrative state when the administrative state is inconvenient for Republicans and only them. And given that they have lifetime appointments, it's not a court that deserves our trust or respect. If it wants trust and respect, it needs to behave differently than six of their justices have been behaving. That's not a strategic comms question. That's a, we need a bunch of people to retire and they be replaced by better judges question. Right, either that or like at a minimum, and Roberts I think is the only institutionalist on the court and his institutionalism is pretty limited. It doesn't extend, uh, it doesn't extend to voting rights. But at a minimum, I would hope that that 6-3 majority is looking at those polls and thinking, oh, you know, this isn't Twitter's fault. This may actually be our fault. It may be that when we decide to make up our reasoning every time based on who the complainant is, that in the long term, that has a bad effect on the court and on its legitimacy. Maybe we should knock it off. So they're not going to do that. I mean, hell, this week, the, the big uh, some of the big news this week is Clarence Thomas has repeatedly refused to recuse himself in cases involving his wife. You don't do that if you care about legitimacy. So if he's not going to care about legitimacy, then from a comms perspective, yes, you ought to point that out. And if that decreases trust in the court, that's their fault. That's not the communicator's fault. Should some smart institution hire a couple of strategic communications thinkers, theoretically, who shall remain unnamed, hypothetically, to run a campaign to press the court to be more institutionalist and increase public trust in the court? It would be nice. I think it's. I think we needed that 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, but is it so? Is it too late, or do we give the shot? I, I think really the the route now is the threat of court packing, which was a, a shot that they took and missed. They needed that to be a better threat than it turned out to be. And it's a little late in the game for this stuff. If we were talking a year ago, I had more hope than I do now. Do we run a comms plan at it, or do you just hope for the best? You can you can run a comms play at it, but I don't think you should be expecting it to go very far. I mean, like, hey, yes, you should try, but we have six lifetime appointees who have at least five of them have shown that they care very little because they waited a long time to enact an agenda and God damn it, they're going to enact it now. They're not going anywhere. I've done some writing. This was back when everyone was more focused on misinformation about how the, the real effects of misinformation on democracy aren't the direct effects. The direct effects on voter behavior are pretty much non-existent because very few things change voter behavior. It's the indirect effects that by show the, the waves of online misinformation showing political elites that actually you can lie and face no consequences because nobody knows what's going on. That is corrosive to democracy because you need responsible elites. And we get worse elites 
when elites look around and say, oh, none of the norms that have governed our behavior actually function anymore, because when you break them, nothing bad happens. It's that for the Supreme Court. So we need better elites than the six people who are currently the majority. Either they can become better people, or they can get replaced, or they can get more company on the court. None of those things are happening in the next year and a half, though. So again, it ain't great. Bad news. Right. So, so on that note, uh, we've hit just about 33 minutes, and the people listening in the tub are fully pruned. So we're going to have to stop there, either before the end of the rule or before Dave solves everything. And, and <laughs> I, what will happen next? I don't know. Tune in in two weeks, where we may or we may not talk about inflation. Hey, let's do some predictions, though. What do you what think do- we're going to talk about in two weeks? What, what do you think is going to be the big news between now and then? What do, what do I think is going to be big news or that you want to talk about? These are two that, No, what are you going to want to talk about in two weeks? I'm going to want to talk about the U.S. qualifying for the World Cup. They should have beaten Mexico in Mexico City. Hopefully they, they win the games between the taping of this pod when the pod and, and next week and then, and then next week. And then we're off to the human rights train wreck, which is the location of the next World Cup. And I do want to, I want to take a moment and raise a toast to, to hopefully, hopefully Justice Jackson. I, I certainly want to raise that toast. If we are talking about that, what's the over and under on number of Ted Lasso references that I make on our next pod? Oh, for heaven's sakes. I, have you, have you ever, ever, ever actually watched the show Ted Lasso? Of course I have. Okay. That's the most you've ever watched soccer is Ted Lasso. Uh, that pretty much, yeah. What's, yeah. what's your prediction? What's your prediction? So what are you looking I, for? My hunch, wait, in soccer or? or <laughs> no, I don't, I really don't care what you have to say about I, soccer. I'm a I'm big not AFC Richmond fan. I really am. <laughs> but they're not playing because they're not real. This is why the world hates American soccer fans. <laughs> it's one of the many reasons. Um, <laughs> my hunch or my spider sense for two weeks from now is that chaos upstream in global affairs and supply chains and domestic actors who want to message around the economy means that we're probably going to be spending the, sometime in the next two weeks, we're going to start talking in a big way about inflation. I think we're going to start pivoting towards the broader fight for the fall about do people view the American comedy right now as doing great because everyone has a job or do they view it as bad because gas prices are too high? So I I think my guess is that we're going to see some moving parts that end up mattering in a big way. And that means that our listener who said, why aren't you talking about inflation? The answer is Tune into episode three and maybe we'll get to it then. I think we're out of time. I think anything else you want to do? Anything else? You're going to follow, people should check out your Substack. Plug your stuff, Dave. Plug your stuff. Uh, yeah. So I'm on Substack. Though since I've been writing conference papers, I haven't written on it in a few weeks, uh, in the past few weeks. That's where I both write about strategic comms uh, in the United States and why everything is dark and gloomy. And also where I write about tech and why our current tech overlords are huge goofballs who shouldn't be taken seriously. So I write about that. I also tweet snarky jokes all the time if you are watching or listening to this podcast and you don't follow me on twitter i'm super curious how you even found out about this thing because that is i, have, I know me people oh it's loge's friends okay loge's friends follow me on twitter i'm hilarious how do they do that you've got to give your twitter handle come on <laughs> oh dave carp with an f at the end <laughs> Jeez, louise uh the, this is what about you you've got a website because i got a website peterloge.com where you can watch this, you can check out the footnotes, throw some up in the shadow doc at Public Opinion of the Supreme Court, Robert Dahl on power. You can follow me on Twitter at P-L-O-G-E. And I have to, on the way out, uh, raise a glass to two tech luminaries we lost recently, the inventor of the GIF and the guy who popularized the TRS-80, which um, Dave doesn't remember because you might not know, but he's 
he's younger than I am, but it changed the lives of a lot of us hanging out in high school who learned how to dismantle computers and reassemble them the way a generation before us did with cars. So um, thoughts are to two guys who changed the lives of a whole lot of us. Thank you all for tuning in on the Potterverse. Thank you, as always, Dave Karp. We're at 37 minutes. You're fully pickled and pruned. So get out of the tub, turn off the pod, and go do something productive. See you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs>